for that. The best part of us is leaving. Look at the kids. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm excited to preach the gospel this morning. So if I take off running and jumping pews and stuff like that, Derek, just be right behind me to catch me, okay, buddy? Don't let me fall on anybody. Uh, you know, Jess mentioned it. Uh, we're going to have us a meeting here about singers for Easter Sunday coming up here soon. And I tell you, that's an exciting time for a Christian. That is the most highest holy day that there is. And I tell you, I'm just filled with excitement for the day of the Lord where we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. I tell you, there is not a holiday or a holy day that is more important than that in the world. Because this has, this has such, such implications and thing, things for us all, this celebration of Jesus Christ raising from the dead. You should be getting excited as we're moving towards this holy day. I mean, this is it. There is nothing bigger in a Christian's life than celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. You know, we, uh, we have some fellows down there on my farm. I, I let the, the Nature Reliance School uh, use my place down there and we train survival stuff down there. Uh, you know, we, we, we train lots of people from search and rescue teams, uh, from the gorge. Uh, we train, there are special forces guys that even show up down there, uh, that train in their off times and, and when they, after they retire, there's a lot of fun stuff that goes on down there. And this morning I went out and I was kind of talking to the group a little bit and I said, now y'all learned physically how to survive. Now come to church this morning and let me teach you how to live forever because that's what this is all about. This right here, this Bible right here is a survival handbook. And if you're smart, you'll read it. If you're wise, you'll, you'll apply it to your life and to your heart, every single word of it. You can be the most learned person in the earth. As I said, you can have more degrees than a thermometer and go straight to hell and have missed the point. It's not about what we are in this world. It's about who you are to Jesus Christ and the world to come. That's what we have to concentrate on. And we miss the point. We miss the point a lot of times. We miss the point. This is an eternal thing. This is not just physical. We're here in the physical and, and we are dominated by it in this life. And it's easy to miss the finer things of this life. It's easy to miss that small, still voice that's speaking to your heart. In Revelations 1.18 will be our text this morning. And I'm going I'm to take us on a different ride as we walk with Jesus. Boy, He was feeding me good this morning. I was wanting to shout in, in my office as I was just pinning this stuff down and, and making some notes, some final thoughts that He was giving me. But I want you to read that. This is Revelations 1.18. He said, I am He that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give us the anointing in which to preach with, Lord. Because without it, we're nothing. We're just a mere tinkling symbol, Lord God. And something that men has no need of. But we need to hear from heaven and what You have to say to the soul of men. So give us wisdom and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And give us a heart that will receive it, God. It's all about reception in the church. 
and receiving, God, what it is, the bread that you're passing out from person to person. So help us to, to have that and ingest it, God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, there is no celebration in the world more important than the one, none greater than we're getting ready to do. You should be getting pumped up as a Christian because this is our time. This is the time when we remember the most important clash of the titans that ever was. The climactic event that saved man's life, that gave men a choice in order to go to heaven or to hell before we were dominated by the power of darkness and the grave had our, had, had our seal upon it and we could not escape it. But Jesus came and He holds the keys to hell and death. In other words, everything that we have need of is wrapped up in the palm of Jesus Christ's hands. And He's ready to deliver if you're ready to receive. He's ready to deliver. He said, I am He that liveth. He is not dead. We do not serve a dead Savior. Let me, let me just reassure you 100%. He is alive and well, and He is here this morning, and He will deal with you if you will allow Him to. He will meet you where you're at, and He will save you, rearrange you, help you, deliver you. He has everything you need right in the very palm of His hands. He's the one that lives. It's the day that sin and Satan was defeated and no longer is the human race bound by the power of darkness. So what did it take to get us here? Such a price was paid for this salvation. Such a price was paid. There is no gain that doesn't happen through loss. Life happens through death. Jesus knew this concept well because the Scripture said everything that was made was made by Him and for Him. In other words, you're His creation. Made in His image and likeness. Man, like that or not. He designed it. He's the one that did it. And you, can, you, you have to allow Him to, to have access to your heart and life and be a part of the design in which He intended you to be. Everything that was made was made by Him and for Him including us, including you. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your name is, you were created by God in His image and in His likeness. I want to read you something. In John chapter 5, verse 21-26, through 26, Jesus says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth, Quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That all men should honor the Son, even as the, uh, the Son honors the Father. And he that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, have, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from life unto death. And he says, Verily I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given the Son life in Himself. Simply put, Jesus has made a way for you and I to live and not die. And that's the celebration that we're getting ready to have. How can Christians not be ready and waiting for such an event? I am ready for this. I can't wait for that day. I live it every single day and so should you. The life of Jesus Christ within you. 
It is awesome and He's ready to give it to you. In 1 Corinthians 15, He says this, So when this corruptible should have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. What did it take for us to get here? What did it take for us to get here? Satan will make sure to try to put everything in your way to block your access to Jesus Christ. He will try to put things in your way to block your access to Him. Let me tell you something about this coming service. If we put ourselves in the timeline of Christ right now, so go back with me if you would just for a minute. Let's just pretend just for a second that we're in Jesus' day. And we're about a month or two from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What was going on? What was happening? Let's just pretend that you put a robe on and you have your sandals on and we're in the desert heat 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. You could almost sense it. All of life was looking to it. The Scripture says that if those rocks didn't cry out, if the people didn't praise Jesus, the rocks would cry out. The earth that was condemned, everything in the fall in the garden was condemned and was looking to Jesus to be justified and redeemed. Everything. Even this day, in archaeology, rocks are crying out His name. Things are being found in in the uh, biblical archaeology world that we're not even being told about. Things like a huge skull found with a rock embedded embedded in it uh, where the battle of uh, Elah took place, in the valley of Elah. Things like chariot wheels found in the Red Sea was in the newspaper many years ago. Things like tombs of people with people's names on it. The Dead Sea Scrolls. All these archaeological events are happening where the rocks are crying out. Why? Because we're not doing enough of that. What did it take to get to this place? You could feel it happening. Everything was looking at Jesus Christ that day. He knew what was about to take place. As I've said in this church many, many times, you've got to get... Get to where you can wrap your head around this. He knew what was about to happen to him. He knew they would pull his beard out to the sufferings. He said, what should I say about this hour? Take me from it. He just got, got through telling his disciples this in the book of John. What shall I say then that God should deliver me from this hour? This is why I came. He said, I'm going to have to be raised up. And if I be raised up, I will draw all men to me. And what that statement statement means is not everybody's going to be saved, but every nation of people will have the opportunity to kneel at the cross of Jesus Christ. Just not the Jews, but Gentiles alike. Thank God. It was for every single person. He said, so I've got to be lifted up. Nobody understood what he was talking about because the Jewish people was looking for a Messiah that would come in warlike fashion and run the Romans out of Israel. 
They didn't understand that the real problem that they had wasn't the fleshly issues of this life. It was the fact that they were going to go to hell if he didn't do it. And he couldn't seem to get their mind uh, into that. Even though he would talk in parables and he would share with them and they seen the miraculous work that he'd done. And they seen his tender nature that he was not the warlike lion as of yet. But he will be. But he will be. The lamb will be the lion. You don't want to stand in the place of the lion. You don't want to stand in front of the lion. Thank God in this dispensation and era in which we're in, you're dealing with the lamb. You have an opportunity to not be devoured by His wrath. You have an opportunity to come before men and kneel upon this altar. He says, if you are ashamed of me in the presence of men, brother, I'll be ashamed of you in the presence of my Father and His holy angels. Make a trip today. This altar is not just for the guilty. We all are. It's a place of help. It's a place of help. When he was moving towards this thing, he knew what was going to happen. I've got to be lifted up. I've got to be crucified. He could see all things. He knew all things. Imagine if you knew exactly how your death was going to take place. You would live in terror all the days of your life. Some of us might die a horrific death. Some of us in here might die of natural causes. Some of you might die in an automobile accident. My father was cut to bits in my field. Never knew that day was coming. Soldiers are getting blown to pieces across the land. Never knew that day was coming. Are you ready? Jesus was ready. He knew what was at stake. I'm so happy and glad for this day coming because it is a display of God's divine love. Divine love and man's love are completely different things. Man's love comes with, with, with conditions. God says, I love you when you don't love me back. And that's divine. To love the unlovable. To love those that will drive nine inch spikes through your body and fix you to a piece of wood. He knew what was coming. He knew about the Garden of Gethsemane before he ever got there. He knew how he would, the sufferings of Christ. I could preach that whole sermon. But he knew the Garden of Gethsemane where he would kneel down in prayer for you, for you, and for me. Where he would anguish to the point that his sweat turned to blood. As he that knew no sin was becoming sin. It was exact opposite of his character and who he was. What hurt Jesus the most was not the physical pain, but what, what was taken, taken, uh, going on spiritually. What he was taking on spiritually. For every prostitute and every dirty deed. For every molestation, for every murder. For every gunshot that took a person's life. All the way back to the first killing that took place on this planet. He was paying the debt. 
The weight of the sins of the world for not only what you have done, but for everything you will have done was accounted for in every drop of blood. He knew of the cat of nine tails and he could see himself. We, we know this through the Psalms that I've read to you before. He said, I looked at my bones and they stared at me. And these dogs that en en encompassed me, David penned, as he was prophetically seeing through the lens of Christ, they, have, they are mocking me. And they're betting on, for my clothes, casting lots for my seamless robe. They have pierced me. In my hands and in my feet. David was never pierced in his hands and in his feet. We know that he was talking about the Christ. And he knew that day was coming. Where they'd lacerate him to the point of death. Where he'd be bludgeoned and beaten in every way. And the crown of thorns. Mocked and ridiculed. Suffering that of abandonment. What? Why did you do that? In John 11:21 through 27, we're going to get into this here in just a minute in this meeting with Martha to Jesus, which goes hand in hand with what's going on. It's a type and shadow. It's the beginning of a display of the death and resurrection. It's a display of that. I'll just read it. Martha comes to Jesus in John chapter 11, verse 21. She says, Unto Jesus, Lazarus had been, had been sick. She said to him, Lord, if you just had been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that even now that whatsoever you will ask of God, he'll give it to you. And Jesus said unto her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said unto him, now I'm going to try to put this, we read this so, so, you know, in a docile mode, you know, then said Martha unto Jesus. Lord, if thou just would have been here, my brother would live. That's not how she said that. This is how she said, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Didn't I come to you and tell you when you were back there messing around, making your way to Bethany, that Lazarus was sick? I told you. That's how she said it. You know, sometimes people get mad at God. Sometimes they don't understand. They don't understand God's timing on things. Martha was in a mess. She was a mess. And Jesus said, He'll rise. I know He'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And the life. And he that believeth, me, believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see, Martha thought the resurrection was an event. She was looking at the resurrection. It wasn't an event. It wasn't a last day thing. It's in the embodiment of Jesus himself. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Him. He's the resurrection. It's not an event. It's not a last day thing, brother. The Bible says when we die, we rise with Him. Because of Him. It's not an event. It's a person. Make note of that. It's a person. Not an event. 
Martha was a mess. She is all jacked up. And whosoever liveth and believeth, Jesus said in me, shall never die. Shall never die. Believest thou this? You know, in one moment she was doubting, but then in another moment she had faith. Jesus responded to her faith, not her doubts. She says, Lord, if you'd have just been here, doubting, then he would never have died. But I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. Faith and doubt. Faith and doubt. That's where we're at. Faith and doubt. Brothers and sisters, you got Easter coming up. Where's the faith? The resurrection. We're going to serve Jesus Christ in the day when we celebrate the resurrection. The person, not the event. Without him, there would be none. He's the one. He's the one. (laughs) The fact that the scripture says Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That's what it says. That he loved them. It's something you need to know and I need to know. Why? Because it was that love. The Bible says we love Him because Yes. He first loved us. You didn't love Him first. No, you and I, we were out sinning. We were out doing all kinds of things. We were loving on the devil before we loved Jesus. Every one of us. You, me, her, her, you, you, me. Let me take all my fingers. Me. We were loving on the devil way before. But he loved us when we were loving on him. And he loved us through it. And he delivered us and became that person. That resurrection. Because trust me, if you're saved, the old you's dead. And a new you has been risen. Thank God, Jesus. Thank you for the day I got saved. Thank you for the day I got born again. Thank you for the day that I learned this, God. And not through anything that I knew, but through just, Lord, your love brought me to an altar and I gave my life to you. And you changed me. Thank God, Jesus. That's the reality of this. The good news is it's still at work. Come while you can. Because the ark door will close one day. And it will shut loudly with a boom. And those standing outside as the pouring rains come and the floodwaters rise will beg for mercy and there will be none. He became the lion that quickly. Why did He do this? His love for us caused Him to endure the worst punishment and torture anyone could ever endure. His love for us pushed Him through the worst night a human could experience as His sweat turned to blood. His love for us gave Him the strength to endure uh, the, the cat of nine tails and a beating that would have killed most men. His love for us enabled Him to endure the pain of abandonment of those who had swore allegiance to Him, said they loved Him, and scattered at His biggest moment in time when He needed them. His love for us gave Him the strength to endure the cross where his arms would be dislocated and nine inch spikes driven through his hands and through his feet. His love for us gave him the ability to hang on the cross after being beaten and bludgeoned and impaled for six hours. 
From 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Jesus hung, impaled, nailed to a piece of wood. While you're up drinking your morning coffee, you remember that. When 9 o'clock rings and you go to work and you're having your work day, you remember He was hanging. Every single day of your work day, 9 to 5, Jesus hung through most of your day that you are working in. You complain about your work day and the things you're going through. He was on the cross working for you, brothers and sisters. That's the day coming up. 9 to 3, brother. Can you believe that? Hanging with 9-inch spikes, trying to breathe. For those of you that wasn't here, I told you, impalement was not what kills a person in crucifixion. It's suffocation. Believe that or not. That's why they break the legs of the victims. And to hang upon the cross was, was, was reserved for society's worst. Amen. You were the absolute worst of society to be dealt the consequence of crucifixion. You would hang there. They would dislocate your arms so you couldn't use your arms to pull you up. And they would get on that cross and they'd put their feet like this and pop your arms out of joint. Boy, I don't know if y'all can see my finger, but if you've ever had anything out of joint, let me tell you what, it's more painful than a break. I've broke my ankles seven times each, my feet seven times each, I've broke this tip, my collarbone. I've broke my tailbone. I've broke several fingers and dislocated things many times. The worst of it all is dislocations. They hurt bad. And your shoulder, which I just had a surgery on, is so dynamic and hurts. And to have somebody pull that joint, pull that socket, pull that bone out of the socket and dislocate it, it's extreme pain. And to have that not happen once, but to have it twice. And then if that wasn't enough, take a nine inch spike and run it down through your, through your skin, through your bones, and, and nail you to the tree. And then they had you laying down when they did that. And then they put that board right up under your feet, giving your knees just a little bit of Ben. And then they take one foot on the other and pound the nail down through the feet. That's my Jesus. He was a tough man. Then that wasn't the end of it. Then by ropes they raised, they, 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 put, the, they put the bottom of the cross in the hole that they had dug. And then when they raised the cross, you begin to feel the weight of gravity on your body, brother, as it was pulling down on your dislocated arms and on the nails that was fixing you to the tree. And boom! Down into the hole you went. Ugh! Ugh! That price was paid for you. That price was paid for this side of the church. That price was paid nine hours after that. Six hours, I should say. Through 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. He hung. Trying to breathe. Up with the diaphragm. 
pulling against your dislocated shoulders and against the spikes in this and this and this. Oh my gosh, the altar should be full today, brother. Ah, they would scream on the cross. Oh. Ah. Remember me when you come into thy kingdom. This day, you'll be with me in paradise. Ah! You see, we, we so look at the cross in such a shameful way. That's how it was. That's how it is. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The ever has been and the ever for will be. He lives that moment just the same as it was being reenacted right now. Because He's there. He's in the past. He's in the present. And He's in the future. We serve an awesome God. His love for us gave Him the strength to face knowing that for three days... He would lay encapsulated by earth and a monster stone covering his grave. His love for us gave him the strength to take the legions of demons who thought they could keep Jesus in that tomb, but God's glorious power rolled the stone away and ran the devil off for a raised Jesus to come walking out for victory for you and me and every person born on this planet. Praise God in heaven for that. Praise God in heaven for it. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Back to Bethany. He wept. Martha was a mess. His friend had died. Jesus said he knew he was sick and he stayed out of town few extra days to make sure Lazarus did die so that he could show some people some stuff. John 11, Jesus therefore groaning within Himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Here comes Martha again. He's a mess. Lord, the sister of the dead, she didn't come up and say, hey, Lord. Um, you know, he's been in there for like four days and he's probably stinking. No, this is what she said. She was talking about her brother that she loved. She's still mad at Jesus for he didn't come and her brother's dead. Now what's he up to? Lord, he's in there stinking and you're going to roll that stone back? Four days in the desert heat. Four days. It would have been awful if it would have been anyone else. But the resurrection said, let me feed your mind. The resurrection Himself said, move the stone. Move the stone. Jesus looked and said, Martha, you're aggravating me. Didn't I just tell you your brother would rise? But because of the people which 
stood by. Jesus told her, said, didn't I say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? The resurrection said that to her. And then Jesus looked away from the, or Jesus, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heardest me. Everybody got real quiet just like this. Just like this. And I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it. That they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken. He looked. at was what was blocking Lazarus before. You see, that stone represents... I could preach another sermon just on the stone. There have been hundreds of sermons, I'm sure, preached on the stone. But what is that stone? That stone is a separation between Lazarus and Jesus. That stone was something that was keeping him from coming out of the grave. What's keeping you? What's the stone in your life that needs to be rolled away? What is it that's blocking your tomb where you're at? And you say you're living well there. Move that. Move that. Lazarus! The dead's ears perked up. Why? Because the resurrection said that, brother. And when he speaks, everything listens. Earth, heaven, and everything that lives Listens. Even the winds obey His voice. What manner of man is this? They said, Lazarus, come forth! And he that was bound in grave clothes come walking out of that tomb. And let me tell you, Martha went from... We, 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 get, we don't get an intimate look at it. But let me tell you something. Martha seen her brother come walking out of there in them grave clothes. And that, that awful nature that she had went straight to tears. And man, my brother which was dead lives again! We went from questioning Jesus to having a cookout at their house, brother. What was that conversation like? I don't know. But it was a good one. He that was dead was alive again. Thank God. What a day that was when Lazarus come back out to see his sisters and his beloved Jesus who I'm sure wrapped his arms around him and gave him the biggest bear hug there ever was and said, welcome back, brother. Here's your family. Good gracious Lord, you're awesome. And we're not excited about Easter yet. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Man, I read these things. The Bible's on fire in me. It's on fire in me. That's what my Lord does. He takes dead things and makes them alive again. Y'all are farmers in here. You take that one seed. Everything's got to die before it lives. Come on. And when that one seed of corn goes in the ground and it grows up into a stalk and it produces thousands of kernels. Do we not see what God is doing? Die just a little bit.
you got to die a little bit. Will you give it up and die just a little bit? Let me tell you a few nuggets for us to think about. Jesus' apparent delay in responding to the request that you make, the ones that they made to heal Lazarus, made them begin to question his love for them. And it looked like and it appeared like to contradict his healing that he said he was going to do for Lazarus. You remember he said in the beginning when Martha went there to tell him, hey, you know, Lazarus is sick. We need you to, you know, can you come and do that magical wand thing you do and poof, it's gone. Well, he never even made it to the funeral. She was mad. Lord, if you'd have been here, notice he had been in the grave. The funeral had already happened and his best buddy didn't even come. Man, sometimes God just don't make no sense. I'm trying to figure this out. This passage of Scripture demonstrates the very important theological truth regarding prayer. Because what she did was an act, but it was, in, in a sense, it was prayer. She went to God and asked Jesus for something. That, my friends, is prayer. She just didn't have to hit her knees. Jesus was here. In our times of struggle, we want God to respond immediately. And when He don't, we're tempted to think He doesn't care. But the reality is we don't understand His timing or His purposes because His ways are not our our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I tell you the truth, I've been preaching for decades and I'm telling you, you don't know how many people's come up to me in the course of this ministry that God has put me in and says, you know what, uh, Brother Jay, I just, you know, I pray and God doesn't move. No, it's just you don't see. You don't know what to look for. Martha had a real struggle going on. Like I said before, she thought that, you know, she accused Jesus. The translation is, this is your fault. How many people's ever blamed God? Yeah. Do you know how many people I've run across? They want to blame God for everything bad, but they never give Him any credit for anything good. Why would God let that happen? Why did God do that? Well, how how about let's give the devil some credit here. Amen? Was it the devil that made a guy drive drunk and kill a person? Was it God that did that? No, that was choices made by men who are free and women who are free to choose which side they're going to serve your choice God loves you enough to let you make it you know in family counseling they'll tell you they'll say you have to love a child enough to let it make its mistakes you can't live for it there's some advice for you for who are raising children I'm a dad that's the hardest thing I ever I ever heard and I had to tell my wife who buddy she she'll get them she'll sick them now amen say amen mama she'll get you now Kyle mess up, son. She's on him, buddy, like a tick on Dracula. Right now. Right? But you have to let him make the mistakes. Even though I'm watching him with my 50-year-old head, watching this 20-year-old, and I'm saying, yeah, he's getting ready to fall off the cliff. That's going to hurt real bad. 
You're going to hurt real bad, boy. Dad, you don't understand nothing. You're not, you're old. No, that's what I, I do understand because I'm old. You're going to hurt. And then, boy, he falls down there and later on, about five years after that, you know what, Dad, you were right about that. Yeah, I know. But the only way I can let you, let you live is to let you make your mistakes. Man, that's hard. Let go, Mom and Dad. Be the example of Jesus Christ in their life. Pray for them. Offer them truth. And let them mess up. It's the best learning experience you can give them. They'll accuse you of denying them life. Otherwise. What do you mean, Dad? I don't need that car that's got 600 horsepower and it goes 160 miles an hour in three seconds. Everybody else has one. You just don't understand, Brother Jess. You're just out of touch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I know exactly what it's like to be 20 years old. And that's the reason why I don't work well right now in the body is because of it. Martha had a real struggle going on. She was blaming Jesus. Martha's theology was correct. But Jesus responded to her faith, not her doubt. Martha believed in the resurrection, but she didn't know that Jesus was it. He had just told her he's the resurrection and the life, 11.25, that the Son of God has life in Himself, chapter 5, verse 26. He can give life to whoever He wants because God gave Him that ability, 6.51 and 11.26, says that he that believes in Jesus will never die. The interesting thing about Martha is she wanted God to help when He started to intervene by rolling the stone away, she objected. Sometimes God's going to do something in your life to answer your prayers, just be, trust Him. Trust God. It might not make any sense to you at all. Trust God. Jesus was fully prepared and ready to do a supernatural intervention in the family. But the family was doing everything in its power to keep it from happening. Those who said they believed and loved Him. He was coming to town. To do a supernatural, divine intervention in the family. He's going to raise him from the dead. What a joyful day. Boy, I tell you what. This coming Easter means something to this brother. It's a representation of my family walking out of the tomb. It's a representation of the Keaton preachers that go back for hundreds of years in this land that were starting churches in northern Kentucky and eastern Kentucky and planting churches. People I've never seen. I'm going to bring a Bible in here that's probably 150, 175, almost 200 years old. And I'm going to preach out of it. It's my great, great, great grandpa's. I never knew him, never knew what he looked like. But I'll know him when they're in the resurrection. Because Jesus. I'll know the one that prayed for me that never even knew me. I'll walk and I'll see him and I'll know him as he's known. The scripture says we, we won't look like this. On the road to Emmaus, they did not recognize Jesus. But we will be known as we are known. 
You have an identity that's locked up in the spirit. It's not in a fingerprint. It's not in a pupil. It's not in the iris of the eye. It's not in the makeup of a body. But the scripture said God knows you based on that spiritual identity. And when I see Jesus, though I've not laid my eyes on him, I'll know who he is. And probably like John, I'll fall down as one dead. My God, I don't deserve the grace you've given. Stand with me.